What is it? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can come out. You following us, Claire? Yeah. Why? Because he's my brother. Looks like you two have a lot of catching up to do. I'll leave you to it. Claire, I'm, I'm so sorry. That... Did he tell you that he was the one pretending to be our father? Yeah. Yeah, he told me. Yeah. Pretty much gave up hoping that you'd ever come back. Now that you're here. It's, it's good to see you, Jack. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I never really had much in the way of family, so it really means a lot that you're coming with us. Actually, I haven't I decided if I'm coming with you. Yeah, you have. <laughs> what do you mean? You decided the moment you let him talk to you, just like the rest of us. So, you know, whether you like it or not, you're with him now. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking about season six episode 13 the last recruit i'm josh wiggler and i am joined here by a man who i would never throw off my boat mike bloom thank goodness because you know i have a fear of open water so i am as good as dead i do not have a floating backpack like jacks to get me safely back to shore (laughs) was that a was that a, a secret flotation device was his backpack I'm assuming that was a little bit of Jacob magic, right? Like, well, he's a candidate. I want to make sure he doesn't drown. Yeah. Or maybe you no, should have given that to you. Joanna back in the day. Uh, so, you yeah. know, we get a lot of white rabbit references in this episode. That really could have saved her back in the day. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever throw you uh, out of a boat. I know how you feel about open water, Mike. 
Uh, I'm a good friend to you. Even if we had uh, as huge of an existential disagreement as the one that Jack and James have in this episode, with lots of shades of uh, Sawyer in the Jack role and Jack in the Locke role, uh, as we are also getting a little bit of that between Jack and Loki as well. We were watching this the other night with the patrons of Post Show Recaps, as we are wont to do. And hey, this is a really great time to consider signing up for the Post Show Recaps Patreon, because we should just say right off the top... We're in the final push of season six. This ah, month's the last month. The last month with the last recruit. This is the last month of the lost rewatch. It's not the last month of down the hatch, but it's the last month of doing uh, of doing the lost watch. Uh, we're gonna finish lost this month. It's totally crazy, and we've been wow. watching season six with the patrons of Post Show Recaps every Monday night at eight p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you're there at the five dollar level, you've got access to that. Um, we would love to have you along for the ride. The the podcast for the end is going to be really, really intense uh, and probably super, super long. Uh, and if you want added content, then you can actually watch the episode with us on that Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. It would mean the world to us if you uh, if you were able to support us in this uh, this final month of the Lost Rewatch. We have you have no idea what we have been through to be here. You actually do. You've listened to this whole thing and you know that it's been a lot of Hopefully. nonsense. Um, but as we were watching it, Mike, uh, the other night, it was a long way of saying. Uh, you know, and I didn't even say patreon.com slash post show recaps. What if people don't know the way? It's patreon.com slash post show recaps. Here's the um, compass. Here's the compass. That's the way. It's patreon.com slash post show recaps. Mike, we were watching the episode, and um, one of the things that I said was that this is an episode that does such a good impression of classic Lost. Uh, you know, it really, it, 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 they really go for, uh, you know, trying to make you feel a lot of the things that you felt when this show was at the very, very, very top of its game. They have scenes that are like great adjacent. Uh, some <laughs> scenes that are actually really, really good, and then other scenes that at least feel to me like the right vibe and Mm. i'm so starved for some of this stuff at this point in the season that it always lands pretty well with me it's a it's a fairly slim episode i really view the last recruit as part one of the two-part candidate um i think that this Mm. is really setting up next week's episode and (laughs) the the duology between the last recruit and the candidate you know when you look at the two episodes together i think that they function pretty well together uh but this feels like a setup piece to that episode and on its own it's relatively slim um but i think that there are a lot of moments in here like the jack and Locke conversation like the jack and Sawyer conversation, like the Saeed and Desmond one, like the mad scramble before tribal council that <laughs> is Sawyer trying to get everybody on the same page with the, with the one plan. All of that. Oh, stuff- and, Jack, and Jack pulls a Julie from Act of Extinction. He's literally jumping ship. It all kind of feels like classic lost uh whether or not it's classic lost i would you know say probably <laughs> it's not but it kind of has that feeling and i think to some extent it is the last time i really feel that way here in the show so the last recruit's always going to hold a little bit of a special place in my heart even if it's a totally fine episode that i think uh just to, to borrow one of your favorite phrases you would for sure classify this as a nothing burger I'm not so sure. Uh, huh. Let's let's talk about this. Yeah, because I underwent a little bit of a metamorphosis here, Josh. Uh, you are encountering me in a very different place, much like Sawyer does with Jack here. Because, yeah, I watched this episode for the first and second time on Monday, the first time by myself, the second time with the patrons. And I just sort of walked away with a bit of a, a whelmed feeling, right? A little bit of like a, eh. 
there are a couple of good scenes, but overall, what happens, right? This episode almost just serves a point to, you know, have Jack go with John Loki to get our candidates. Every, all the 815ers are now going to get captured by Widmore's crew. Our sideways characters are coming together, and that's about it. But the more that I chewed on this fact, and especially when I went to pull the sounds for this week and I listened to these individual scenes, I think the more I realized that this is one of those rarefied lost episodes where the pieces are much better than the whole. Yeah. The sum of its parts greatly outweighs the overall feeling because the overall feeling, again, that I walked away from is very much what you vocalized. Very slim episode, very plot forward, just meant to put people in its places, whatever. It was necessary. Let's yeah. move on. Represented, think- Mike, by the fact that uh, we have, let, let me just check the feedback section of this podcast. Oh, no feedback for the last <laughs> recruit. No one had a thought. Everyone was like, nah, I don't know. This is yeah. an episode of the show. And look, maybe it's because everyone was digging into the uh, the turkey with the cranberry sauce <laughs> yeah. that you like, over, you the like. Course, over the yeah. course of this Thanksgiving weekend. But I, I do think that The more you dig into this, though, the more we drill down into some very specific interactions. I think drilling. Oh my god! Uh, Do you need me to come back for this one? I'll be the recruit if they unless you already picked the last one, and that means that I can't be a part of it. No, you can be. Well, listen, we're going to lose a lot of uh, the Man in Black's (laughs) people at the end. I think there's some room for some more as long as you can dodge out of mortar fire. If you can dig yourself your way into the sand to to make yourself a little bunker, Uh, but I do feel like the more we get into these scenes, which of course we'll do over this podcast. There is some richness here, especially when it comes to the volume of character aspects. You know, you talk about it being maybe like dollar store season one in terms of we're going to get some great Jack and Sawyer stuff, some great Sawyer and Kate stuff that has been a bit lacking over the course of this season six that has really sent people scattered to the winds. And like you said, we're not really going to get a lot of that again. So honestly, the more I thought about it, the more I appreciated it for what it was worth, which was a way to kind of like stop and check in and taste a little bit of that original flavor lost as diluted as it may be. Yeah, before we really charge forward with these last three episodes. And, you know, I'll talk about it throughout. Actually, from a production perspective, there are several things that are brought into this that are low-key, not John Low-key, but low-key really smart uh, with callbacks to other episodes like we've seen throughout the season. So I think... Like for the past 48 hours, I've had a bit of an epiphany about how marginally more I enjoyed this episode than when I walked away. And that's the the great thing about Lost is that it's a show that you can come back to time and time again, even over the course of a two day period and have your mind changed a bit on it. So I'm actually I'm actually very excited to get into this, maybe even more so than any of the episodes we've talked about since Abiturno. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of fun stuff in here that just feels like you are uh you know eating uh, a piece of that delicious fried mr clucks uh you're talking about mango it's the uh, most delicious mango you've ever had the most delicious piece of mr clucks you've ever had only to realize that it's like okay so this is cafeteria fried chicken but it's making me feel the way that a mr clucks would make me feel uh so we'll talk about it all we've got a lot to get into here in this episode of the podcast of course even if there's no feedback to get into for the last recruit I'm sure that there's going to be a ton of feedback to get into for next week's episode. So you want to make sure that your voice is heard in advance of the candy date, as we like to talk about it here. (laughs) 
downthehatch at postshowrecaps.com. That's our email address, downthehatch at postshowrecaps.com. That is the way to send in your feedback. It is also the way to send in your 4.2 fish biscuits, Mike, a late rebranding of the 4.2 stars. <laughs> uh, we want your fish biscuits. Send in your ratings of every single episode of Lost. We are going to need that data as we are planning what comes after season six. So please send that our way down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Mike, without further ado, uh, we're going to toss this to a commercial break. And then when we come back, we are going to talk about The Last Recruit. Stay tuned. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. All right, Mike, it's time for The Last Recruit. Uh, this is a... This doesn't really censor on anybody, huh? Who the hell knows? Uh, I believe the official officialness has it as a Jack and Locke double feature. But, I mean, we're going to get several flashes. And actually, let me start with the first little bit of production brilliance that I didn't notice. Uh, If you skip over Hurley, which, look, you had an entire last episode dedicated to him. It's understandable. The flashes we get in this episode go in order of the candidates by number. Uh, so we go John Locke, number four. We skip over eight, which is Hurley. We go to Sawyer next, which is 15. Saeed is 16. Jack is 23. And then the Quans are are 42. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess from that perspective, it really is a multi-focused episode, which I don't believe we necessarily have had since if you don't count the early days of season five which again is a little bit of a debate as to who is what outside of a finale we haven't had that since the other 48 days so again really showing the shifting perspective and paradigm as to what the focus of the show is going to be from here on out well i think part of it may be thematically first of all I mean, this is a big critique of the final season, and you and I have been talking about this for a minute, but you and I uh, talked offline about this episode specifically, that there are so many things that happen in this episode that feel like they could have sustained entire episodes on their own elsewhere in the season. We could have had a Jack and Loki episode. You know, the conversation that they're about to have here at the top of the episode is so rich that it could have been the stuff of a whole ass episode of the show. Uh, We listened to it at the top of this podcast, but Jack and Claire's reunion, there's so, there was so much build up to Jack and Claire being siblings and finding that out and being able to have a moment together. And you really only get a couple of moments. It's this one, and then it's uh, it's a little bit later in this episode. And then other than that, the Jack and Claire content is relegated to the sideways. So it feels like there was a lot of um, that there was this instinct to push a lot of these moments for end of season reveals. And I think that that is part of um, maybe some of like the, the lower volume criticism of the final season of Lost is the rushed pace towards the end and the meandering through so much of the season to 
get to these points that can be very satisfying when you get them. Uh, that's the thing is that a lot of these scenes, the Jack and Loki scene in this one is a great example. It's a great scene. It's really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. It makes me mad that we don't have more of it, but I am just grateful that we at least have some of it. Um, and I think that the sideways is, is very representative of this and the sideways maybe eating up a lot of screen time as well, I think is not an unpopular take. Um, but I feel like we get to this point by the end of the season, Mike, where we have, um, the, the sideways story has just been waiting for really one big turn of the cards to reveal what it actually is. And otherwise we've been doing sort of these, um, recycling of old storylines and showing that even in death, these people are still traumatized by the things that made them, uh, and that they're trying to move on from that and integrate that stuff, uh, that by the time you get to this final stretch of the season between this episode, the candidate, what they died for, and the end, there's so much to resolve to tie it all together that it can only be served if we are not sticking to the centricity rules. Um, Mm. There's part of me that doesn't mind that piece of this, and then another part of me that feels like, well, it's disorganized because getting into the process of actually making the thing must have borne out that the philosophy behind it just wasn't quite working right. Like, the pacing was off. They misjudged how long it was going to take to get to some of these points and what their level, I would I would imagine, to some degree of satisfaction with the storytelling would be, and certainly what our level of satisfaction would be. Yeah, I mean, I think the sixth season very much feels like, for lack of a better term, building the plane as it flies, which, ironically enough, is the way yeah. they started the series, right? Where, and also kind of how they end it, you know? <laughs> yeah, which was like, as they're, tr- they're they knew how they wanted to end things, but they walked in the sixth season saying, there are all these things we want to focus on, all these points we want to make up. We have 10 pounds of plot in what they thought was a five pound bag, even though, as we've talked about with those pacing issues, I think it could have been more easily interspersed. I... I'm very sure that Darlton looked back on the sixth season and said, did we really need to spend a third of the season at the temple? As an example, Uh, there's just so much odd plotting going on in the beginning and the middle of the season. We can firmly say now we are in the end game of season six and of Lost in general, that it really does feel like a hurry up offense, to use a sports metaphor, uh, when really you're like, well, you had so much time on the play clock and you used it on silly, doofy plays. And now you're at this point where now you have to really do some impressive things, but admittedly could have been parsed out much more. I mean, this is yet another episode that beats that ever increasing drum of why was there not a clear flash episode uh you know we talked about how a lot of claire's arc was resolved in a previous episode in this season we get tinges of it here but it reminds us about all the stuff she experienced off camera and the sideways stuff is pleasant enough in this episode honestly i feel like this is more of the means to the end stuff than the island is uh i think the sideways stuff is more plot focused because it honestly since desmond has woken up and we finished with our last soul-centric episode in hurley it really has just been okay now all these characters have to interact with each other as we slowly circle the drain here that becomes a bit more of a chore to watch but yeah, it's nice to watch in the moment, but I suppose when it comes down to your ratings, how much do you reconcile that with almost the previous sins that they had committed of, all right, this is enjoyable to watch the rush to escape John Loki, but why did we not have this for five episodes prior? 
Right. Yeah. I think that that is the question that I have as well, but we've got it at least. And so that is right. the thing because what we do get, I do think is really good. Even from the, the very get go, you know, we pick up immediately at the merge that we left off <laughs> at last week and Locke is very happy. That Another two part merge up. episode. Come on. This is ridiculous. Uh, I know. Uh, and he's, I'm, I was hoping you would come. We've got some catching up to do. Uh, and I love the, like the, the music underneath it and the intensity of jack taking the gun off of his shoulder and looking at hurley uh and saying are you okay with me talking to him alone but it is sort of this uh you know this this faux question jack knows he's going to have the conversation he wants hurley to be okay with it but he's probably going anyway jack is already shouldering the weapon right you know he's getting ready for this conversation um hurley is all too happy to let him go we should also mention that the music playing is indeed the Oceanic Six theme that plays when they first touch down. And that's been used throughout seasons four and five to sort of like represent a homecoming in many ways. And like we said, like, and this is going to come out through sound number one, which is the conversation between Jack and John Loki. It is this idea of walking back into your home, but the homeowner has changed. Yeah. And they've redecorated the place where it looks oddly familiar and those memories come flooding back, but it's a very different decor. It feels like a fundamentally different place, even though you have a connection to the face that it's wearing. Yes. Uh, so he's going to sit down with the smoke monster. How do you break the ice with the smoke monster? <laughs> Hurley already did that, but how do you have a conversation with the smoke monster? Jack's going to show the way on that. Let's listen in sound number one. Look just like him. Does it bother you? No, what bothers me is I don't have any idea what the hell you are. Sure you do. Why John Locke? Because he was stupid enough to believe that he'd been brought here for a reason? Because he pursued that belief until it got him killed? And because you were kind enough to bring his body back here in a nice wooden box. He had to be dead before you could look like him. That's right. Who else did you look like? Jack, what do you really want to ask me? The third day we were here, I saw... I chased my father through the jungle, my my dead father... Is that you? Yes, that was me. Why? You needed to find water? This may be hard for you to believe, Jack, but all I've ever been interested in is helping you. To help me? To do what? Leave. But because Jacob chose you, you were trapped on this island before you even got here. Now Jacob's dead. We don't have to be trapped anymore. We can get on an airplane and fly away anytime we want to. We can just fly away whenever we want. Why are you still here? Because it has to be all of us. was the only one of us that ever believed in this place. He did everything he could to keep us from leaving this island. John Locke was not a believer, Jack. He 
was a sucker. God, what a freaking awesome scene. It's, it's been a really cool scene. Yeah, and something we've been waiting forever, right? Because this is the first time that Jack and John Loki are face to face. Again, they have been separated by years uh, for the, the, the end part of season five and by location for the majority of season six. And it's something we have been delayed gratification on. And we will certainly talk about how that comes into play at the end of this episode. But man, it slaps. Uh, again, you could argue, should this have happened sooner? Yes, but it is absolutely worth the price of admission, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, one of my favorite things that they do with the John Loki character is anytime he's dissing John Locke. And I say this as somebody who loves John Locke. Uh, but I think that we spent a lot of time during our, uh, our days here on Down the Hatch, Mike, of, you know, poking around at the Jenga tower that is John Locke and the times mm-hmm. that, you know, his, his frailties and his ego, uh, you know, created these situations that were very dangerous for other people or were just otherwise misguided. And even if we love and appreciate him as a character, there are many times that even to Locke, to use one of Locke's own phrases, I was wrong, uh, that these are things that you can't help but but call out and notice and see. Um, so to, to get a moment where a guy is going around wearing Locke's face and saying that to a person who used to say it so regularly to Locke, but now is doing everything in his power to, you know, you cannot go back and change things. Uh, Jack literally just discovered this uh, as as literally as humanly <laughs> possible by traveling through time and realizing, no, you don't change things, you create things. Um, to be the guy who's on the receiving end of John Locke was a sucker from a man wearing a very realistic John Locke mask uh, is very intense and really cool and a really great echo of White Rabbit um, and Mm. really calling back to that seminal season one episode, one of the most important episodes of the show as far as I'm concerned. I know we talked about that then. Um, And another reason why I feel like this episode is doing a lot of vibe work of feeling like classic Lost. This scene feels like classic Lost. Whether it's actual Mr. Clucks or cafeteria fried chicken (laughs) is up to you, but it is tasting like classic Lost to me. As long as the dipping sauces are good, I don't mind. Yeah, there's just so much good stuff in this scene. I mean, what I find so fascinating about it is that Jack has essentially become an acolyte of Locke, a Lockalite, if you will, uh, quite literally, in that, you know, he, the, he keeps Locke's suicide note in his pocket saying, I wish you had believed me. And now he is someone who, as we've talked about, has served that Lockean role so many times since coming back to the island Here is a man wearing the face of this guy that meant so much to Jack, saying everything he believed in and everything you have now subsequently believed in is a sham. He's a Pharisee, if you will. I really like, of course, the the infamy of the line, you know, John Locke wasn't a believer, he was a sucker. Uh, Not only is it such an important line, but it calls back to the uh, shortened Ben eulogy of John Locke, right? When he calls John Locke a believer. This is John Locke quite literally spitting on John Locke's grave with that remark by essentially refuting those words that were said about him. It is such an interesting dichotomy right and then even calling back to the white rabbit of it all 
Not just with this scene, but let's talk about the fact that, of course, as soon as Jack begins to put two and two together as to what the smoke monster is, he goes back to those first few days on the island. I will say one thing this episode does not have in its corner. There are a couple of writing mistakes uh, from a chronological perspective. The sideways stuff we can talk about, you can almost hand wave that away because dream world. But uh, Jack, you saw your dad on the fifth day, not on the third day. Pretty sure well, the third you day. Know, Jack Shepard doesn't have lost Pedia. You know, and it was a plane crash. And I don't know how how much he's, you know, remembering that beat for beat for beat day by day by day. I think that's not the worst thing. I I do think that there are some days that live in infamy there. So, I mean, that just might have been, I think, a a hole from, because I I think this is what Paul Z and somebody else wrote this. So they weren't exactly OG lost writers. That, That might have just been a slight, but still, it's an important character beat, right? Because I think while John Loki is meant to, try to convert Jack to his side, as the title indicates, right? To essentially be like, no, man, Jacob had it out for you, but I'm here to free you, to free all of us. I think, if anything, this conversation has only doubled down what Jack wants to do. Because, essentially, John Loki has confirmed to him, like, the power of the island, right? Here is somebody that can take the form of a dead person, And I also think, I don't think Jack's falling for this act, right, of, oh, I took the form of your dad to lead you to water because you were, you know, thirsty. We talked about this in White Rabbit. I think Jack's got to remember the fact that his dead dad nearly sent him flying off a cliff. Like, that has to be living rent-free in his head. So I, I just think it's a really interesting callback to what is a, like you said, a formative moment for Jack. John Loki is trying to warp it. Through his lens, but I'd like to believe that Jack completely sees through it, especially when, you know, this guy begins to mock the very person who Jack has been trying to follow as of late. Yeah, uh, it's a good answer, though, and I'm glad that we get the confirmation here. Uh, And I love just the frankness of it. Yeah, that was me. Um, But, you know, you still, uh, I don't know, you want to believe Terry O'Quinn. You know, you don't want to believe that the monster is a monster, but especially when that locked out again music comes in, right? Like that is one of my favorite pieces and it calls back that pathos that we always felt for John Locke whenever it comes about. But it has this really perverted tone because it's coming through this guy who's like, yeah, doesn't that dude suck? And it's like, yeah, he does, but we love it because of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's go to the sideways, Mike. Uh, John Locke, the OG, uh, does not look great. Uh, he's in the ambulance. He's on the gurney. But ben he, is he, with him. He could have been worse, though, were it not for that wheelchair. Though, it's interesting. They say that the wheelchair was torn to shreds. I'm pretty sure at the end of last episode, we saw that the wheelchair was completely fine. Uh, it does survive a plane crash in the main timeline. But, yeah, there's also the fun little irony. Do you irony think that that's there. something that Ben does in his mind that he just, he just in his own mind, he just imagined that it was uh, it was torn apart like paper? Uh, and mm. so he's just canonizing that here. Yeah, that could be something. Uh, yeah, for some reason, I'm imagining in Scary Movie 2, there was the wheelchair race between David Cross's character, Dwight, I believe his name was, and the ghost in the wheelchair. And they fly at each other like Mission Impossible 2, and then Dwight falls out the window. And there's like an ominous shot of a wheelchair wheel spinning with Firestone branded across it, because, you know, satire. That's the image I get of how Ben imagines the, the, the shattered John Locke wheelchair after Desmond hits him with a car. 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, Ben's, be- you're still going to marry Helen Norwood, John. Uh, Locke is being brought in. Son is being brought into the hospital at the same exact time. Uh, we get the big, it's him. It's him. Uh, so she's like kind of fading in and out of uh, remembering to a certain extent. Because this is the guy in her mind, uh, probably, that, you know, killed her. Uh, is sort of what she's thinking. That's what I'm thinking. I'm wondering, remembering who? You know, is this her waking up to what John Loki has done to her? Is she saying it's him in response to just John Locke proper? This is one of those sort of microcosms of the final few episodes of the series, right? Where everyone's like, oh, I recognize something from you, but we never get any introspection as to what that is until we get those montaged wake-up scenes. It's one of my little hang-ups, but yeah, this is one of those odd moments of okay i guess she recognizes him from somewhere all right yeah she's figuring it out um all right back in reality it's the scene we listened to at the top of the episode yeah there it goes uh but we listened to the we listened to this at the start of the podcast it's jack and claire's first ever meetup as siblings knowing that they are siblings um overwhelming underwhelming whelming where are you at uh should this have been should this should this have been more do you wish this was more i know that your reaction was man where's the claire episode well because what she implies so much happens off camera the two major things is that a she knows that jack is uh you know her stepbrother which is huge right we see jack react twice to that revelation first in the main timeline and then the sideways in this episode claire should similarly i think have a moment where she has to realize this right the man who had been taking care of her and her child was her half brother that's got to be something but the other thing for me is you know season four we see claire say that she's just hanging out with her dad in cabin fever we cut into season six but we see her in her hidey hole and she says like oh that's my friend uh that's not john Locke." and i feel like we needed that moment where the man in black as christian shepherd reveals he's not christian shepherd you know like i feel like that's too big of a hole for us to fill in from a headcanon perspective I really, because that's a a thing. We keep hearing all this talk of, don't let the man in black talk to you. He'll draw you to your side. We haven't seen any of that. And I would have really liked to see what he did to Claire to bring her over to his side so quickly and what happened over these three years. To me, these are conversations that added to the lost radio play, things I really wish we could have seen, not only for Claire's sake, but just really cool scenes that I think could have been really fun to watch. Here's what I want to do. Uh, write this down. You ready? Uh, right. We want to we make sure that we don't forget this one. When we do season six feedback, which I think we'll do when we do the new man in charge, otherwise that's going to be a real short podcast. <laughs> um, when we do feedback for the final season, I think I would really like it if we came up with, uh, except that everything that happened from season one through the end of season five happened. Whatever happened, happened. All the episodes exist exactly as they exist. What does the final season look like if you're in charge? That's what I want to know. What are the episode beats? You know, we want to get to the same basic place, okay? So we we don't want to change things too drastically about the final season in terms of where we land, the final message that we're sending. I think, you know, some form of sideways something probably should still be in there. But what do you do differently uh, to get yourself that Claire episode, to do all of those things? I think that that would be a fun exercise. 
Yeah, I, I think that would be really fun as well. You know, at the top of my head, I can think of things to cut specifically and maybe things to restructure in there. So I don't know. I don't know if we can need to go as detailed as, OK, episode one, this happens. But I think definitely some major swipes can be had. And certainly we'll continue to say that there needs to be some Claire stuff in there, because, again, just through this one scene alone indicates how much this character changed inimitably, as Desmond will tell her later, an irreversible change over the course of three years that we know nothing about. Only yeah. through hearsay, only through sparse lines, and it's one of those really big missed opportunities, in my opinion. Yeah, to the point that Sawyer wants nothing to do with Claire, and this is a guy who, you know, risked life and limb to save her in the season four attack on the barracks and the aftermath of that, uh, and he wants absolutely nothing to do with Claire in this episode. So, like, what got her there? I wish that we had seen that. I totally agree, and I think that she got short-shifted in a big way. And I wanted to see more of her and Jack together as siblings. This was such an one of those really great um, you know, early theories of the show that bore out and turned out to be absolute bore, bore. out and turned out to be <laughs> correct. Um, but we only get it for a scene. It's just not quite enough. Uh, and like their sideways interaction, especially next week, and I think in what they died for, will be will be nice. Um, but it's still not quite nice enough, Mike, for me. Not yeah, quite. The, the the Sawyer thing. Sawyer is really interesting in this episode. Let me sort of set that up, you know, at the top of the storyline as we get into him finally putting his plan from recon into action. Because I would not say that he is a fundamentally different Sawyer than what we saw of recon, but it's really tough because it's almost a representation of what I spoke about, maybe starting back in like the Dr. Linus sundown recon days of sort of the characters coming and going and fits and starts. Right. Sawyer had his big episode in Recon and he's kind of just been sitting on his duff since Abiturno, essentially. And as a result, you know, things have happened off screen, like you said, that would have been nice to see. It would have been nice to see a couple of scenes back at John Loki's camp of like Sawyer observing Claire and getting some sort of opinion of her. Cause I could see the logic, right? He's going to bring up the fact that Claire tried to kill Kate and that's a no go for her. He feels like she's too far gone. But that feels too rash for Sawyer, especially like season five, season six Sawyer, to make a base judgment off of that one action. I would have really liked to see what else is Claire doing that makes James Ford realize, in his opinion, she is a fundamentally different person. Because otherwise, that is way too much of a knee-jerk reaction for someone that, as you said, he has a really tight relationship with. Uh, one of the things I really love about this episode is everybody getting to mix and match and interact to a certain extent. So we get that in the cold light of day as Sawyer is telling Hurley about the submarine. Uh, Kate is currently telling Sun. Saeed isn't invited because he's gone to the dark side. Hurley says, you can always come back from the dark side. You know, Anakin and Sawyer, notorious Star Wars fan who has name-checked Star Wars multiple times, uh, has uh, called out the, the Han and Chewie dynamic of Michael and Jin in the past, says, who the hell is anakin uh right, i guess well, he didn't pay that close of attention to star wars i know anakin prequel is really the predominant that's, that's association the thing. yeah I, but I, he's I, checked multiple times in the original trilogy as well i mean i'm trying to remember that but i do feel like sawyer is while he makes the occasional references i don't think he's as much of a deep dive to be like oh yes of course anakin skywalker i think he's just gonna remember him on a broad level as Darth Vader. Uh, plus, I don't know. Star Wars, he lived for a few years in the 70s where Empire Strikes Back had not been out yet, and Anakin Skywalker's name was not revealed, so maybe Sawyer just has his mind based in a new hope of it all. Maybe. Uh, so, uh, Claire's coming up. She hugs Hurley. Locke comes back with Jack. Locke says, 
well, it's nice to have everybody back together again. On that note, <laughs> that's essentially the, the the entire subtitle of the Flash Sideways for the rest of the series, right? Yes. Is it's so nice yes. to have everyone back together again. Yeah, so we go to the police precinct in the Sideways for a scene between Sawyer and Kate's ghosts, effectively, right? <laughs> you know, um, and it is, uh, you know, whatever you say about the Sideways, what a delight to watch Josh Holloway and Evangeline Lilly work together in this scene. It's really, really, really fun. Um, I'm really glad you pulled the sound for this one, Mike because it's just a delight to listen to. So let's do it. Sound number two. Catherine Ann Austin. Wanted for arson, assault on a federal officer, murder in the first degree. Funny, you don't strike me as a murdering kind. It's because I'm not. Be sure and mention that to the feds when they get here. Is this something you wanted? You remember me? The airport? We're on the same flight from Sydney? Yeah, I remember. Well, don't you think it's weird? You and me being on the same flight, having that little meetup in the elevator? And a week later, boom. With all the cars in Los Angeles, you smash into mine. Almost like someone's trying to put us together. Are you hitting on me? never work, sweetheart. I'm a cop. You're a murderer. I already told you I'm not a murderer. No, I'm still a cop. So why didn't you arrest me? I did arrest you. No, the LAX. The elevator. You saw I was wearing handcuffs. I didn't see any handcuffs. All I saw was a pretty lady who needed the door held open for her. You know what I think? I think you let me go. Because you went to Australia and you didn't want anyone to know you were there. Should I tell that to the feds when they get here? Oh, I like you. Mm. Josh, it's a season one callback episode for many reasons, but maybe chief among them is that Kate is a badass this uh-huh. episode. Yeah. Very much season one vibes of her being like one of the best characters on the show. One of the MVP leaders. Yeah. See, we're season one adjacent. You know, there's a there's there's a good cover band of uh, season one <laughs> happening right now. I bet the way that she throws it back at Sawyer. But I yeah. also just love Sawyer's. Oh, I like you. Like, after that read where she totally gets it right, he doesn't even deny it. He's just like, yeah, oh, wow, yeah, you're good. <laughs> it's just a really, really, really great moment. Um, the interplay between these two is just very, very fun. Uh, the push and the pull, who's in, uh, you know, the, the power position in the conversation shifts at multiple times throughout the talk. Uh, it's really, really, really fun. And again, I think a callback to that initial dynamic, right? Especially something like Confidence Man, where, you know, someone like Sawyer finds himself in the power position so much that he finagles a kiss out of Kate, but then Kate's in the power position when she finds the letter that Sawyer has. And that very much happens here, where despite being in handcuffs, Kate holds the information above Sawyer's head of, hey, you didn't want anyone to know that you went to Australia, so that's why you let me go at the airport. It's it's just a really fun scene from a really fun dynamic that we honestly have not seen a lot of up to this point. We talked about this back in what Kate does, and obviously Sawyer is a very different person on the main timeline up to this point, that we don't really bring back that witty repartee. This is also a vocal confirmation of many things. First off, 
Sawyer confirms it has been a week since 815 landed, which further confounds this idea of what happened with the package. Were Jin and Sun just making enchiladas for an entire week? I mm-hmm. suppose so. Uh, right. But unfortunately, Josh, after this clip, Miles calls Sawyer away to talk about the shootout at the restaurant. Right. There were victims, and one of that victims apparently was named Martin Kimi. What are you talking about? Then Miles says... There were victims, and he name checks Martin Kimi. No, he doesn't. He actively does. I have a transcript nope. of the show right here. Nope. Oh no. no. Oh no, no, Josh. No. Are you trying no, to remove this from the timeline? Are you trying yeah. to make Kimi everlasting nope. Kimi a thing? No, I didn't do it. Uh, I was watching the episode. I've seen. I watched it twice, Mike. I watched it once uh-huh, to uh-huh. you know take the notes, and then I watched it with the patrons, and they never said that Kimi was killed in the restaurant shootout. You ever, um, you ever hear of selective hearing, Josh? No. Nope. Curious. Nope. Okay. Well, that is also <laughs> ironic. <laughs> no, he's fine. He's still good. Witness protection. He's on uh, a farm upstate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They brought, they brought, <laughs> brought him to the farm. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> Just like yeah, a yeah, summer yeah. camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's fine. Uh, he's good. He's good. I don't believe it. I choose not to believe it. It's fine. Miles Miles is going to say Jaboni again, so I'm glad that mispronunciation carried over into the afterlife. Uh, they see that Saeed was on the camera at the restaurant where uh, where Kimi was definitely not killed. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll follow that lead in a little while. Um, Jack and Kate reunite. It's been a minute since they've seen each other. Uh, since um, oof. Since they br- they since they brush against each other, uh, yeah. yeah and, and light was it lighthouse or was it sundown that they lighthouse? Uh, it was lighthouse, yeah, because they were on their way and she was yeah. coming in. Uh, yeah, that's the last time they saw each other. And Jack, you know, like we talked about, lighthouse was a fundamental episode for him, and it rings so true when Kate says he's different now, and Jack replies, "Guess we're all different we're all now." Different now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's this idea of I think you know it's a bit of a follow up to, in my opinion, what is it in the variable when or maybe whatever happened happened right when when Kate's talking to Jack uh, about like you know you've changed or you know I, I I didn't I don't like the new you he's like you didn't like the old me I think Jack is basically saying you've all changed and now I finally changed in a way yes yes uh, so uh, John Loki is going to finally put this stick that he's been making to good use uh, <sighs> Zoe walks into camp uh, and she says you took something we want it back that something is Desmond uh, and she calls in on a radio show them what we're capable of uh, and there's a, a drone strike that blows up some jungle behind Loki I'm, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's the case right or just that like this Winmore have I don't know a barrage of missiles from Hydra Island that he's firing off I don't know where this is coming from uh, but they've got rocket power and they flex oh, nice. it they yeah. got Otto, Reggie, and the squid. That's what they have, and they say, uh, "If you if you try and if you try and hang on to that thing you took, we're gonna we're gonna hit you with this." Uh, yeah, which is a hollow threat because if she blows up the camp, then the candidates are dead, and then the man in black is free, and he's also not going to get killed from a rocket attack. So, and you would think that they know that because Desmond has definitely been brought back here as the failsafe. 
Mm-hmm. So that plan of Charles Widmore is to have Desmond uncork the thing, it, which comes from Jacob to Widmore. Uh, we get that from uh, what they died for. So you don't, you know, you have to connect this piece of it, but Jacob telling Widmore to bring Desmond back as the failsafe to uncork the thing is going to make the man in black mortal. So Widmore probably should know that, like, they can't just shoot the monster. So this whole thing is useless. It's an incredibly hollow threat, which, to Smokey's credit, he completely sees through. You know, something that I actually appreciate about this scene is what John Loki is parroting to Zoe is almost word for word what Widmore told him back when he went to Hydra Island between, you know, uh, Zoe saying, oh, you have to, you have something that we want. And he's like, no, I don't. You know, very much what Widmore said about Jin uh, back in the day in the package when they went for him. So it basically is John Loki saying like, well, I'm just going to do what you did back to me. Screw you. You can't kill me. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's going on here. I think it's just honestly Charles Widmore saber rattling at this point, right? Maybe maybe he believes in John Loki's idea that he can only leave the island with all of the candidates. So it's like, oh, if you got no candidates, you can't leave the island. Who knows how much Jacob made him abreast of the plan? I mean, the other thing is that Zoe is essentially using what John Loki did in Sundown against him. And John Loki's like, you can't use my own tactic against me at this point, all right? I know how to threaten someone. You can't charge through like a smoke monster. Only I can do that. Uh, We don't take kindly to threats. No, not particularly. So uh, John Loki smashes the radio that she leaves behind with his stick, which is the only reason he made the stick. Uh, And he says, well, here we go. Uh, I hate this part. So not, so stupid. It's just kind of not great. Um, yeah, I mean, considering like the dialogue last episode, right, was meant to play. Oh, this stick will have a use. Like, oh, I didn't know what happened, but you know, I'll find a use for it as soon as it comes about. And it was just to smash a walkie-talkie dramatically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. Totally fine. Um, okay, so let's go to the sideways and watch Desmond be a creep. Sound number three. <laughs> hey there. How are you? Uh, we met at the airport. The, uh, the bag is clean. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> nice. I'm Desmond. Desmond Hume. Um, I never got your name, uh, Claire Littleton. <laughs> so, so how are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Better now. I actually had a bit of a scare and ended up in the hospital. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no. All good now. Sorry. Oh, by the way, uh, you are right. It's a boy. I have a nose for these things. Um, excuse me if this sounds a bit personal, but um, I couldn't help noticing you're going to an adoption agency alone. Uh, yeah, you're right, it is personal. No, I just meant you should have some, some legal representation. What, are you a lawyer? <laughs> no, no, but uh, it just so happens that I'm on my way to see one. You know, adoption contracts are complicated, and... You should be careful because you could find yourself in a situation that's irreversible. Yeah, I I don't have money for a lawyer. What's wrong? Um, I'm going to 15 as well. Look, this, um, this attorney I'm seeing, she's excellent. Uh, You know, plus she owes me a favor. So, why don't you just come and meet her? You know, I think she could really help you. 
But I promise you, it won't cost you a cent. Please. It would be my absolute pleasure. Sure. Great. That's me. We're about two minutes away from a Law & Order SVU episode. Dude, this is so creepy. Desmond ran over John Locke last week, and that was bad. And now Desmond is, like, really, like, Claire, come into the car with me. I can see your name on your backpack. I've got candy. Like, this, yeah. is, this is awful. And, like, he's awake. Uh, like, I, I get it. We're trying to get everybody together. Everyone needs to wake up. Desmond's the person that we're doing it with, but like, don't really, know. I don't really like this. Gives new meaning to means to an end, right? Of like, oh well, you know what? It's fine if I tailor into the oh, elevator no, and like no, follow it's her so bad. to where she's going. It's okay because uh, it's all worth it at the end. Yeah, he's I don't, you know, very I don't, pushy. Uh, yeah, around this time too, I think that um, it's just, it's just, it's not, it's not fun it's just a really really uh like not and like you can really feel how palpably uncomfortable claire is in the scene yeah uh, well i mean like, poor flash sideways claire uh, right she like got like kidnapped by kate for a day or so got sent to the hospital with like a false labor alert and then now is getting harassed by this guy that she was nice to at the baggage uh, claim a week ago is gross is grooty don't like it at all uh desmond hume uh, fortune's falling for sideways desmond uh i know so, yeah, so, si- sideways desmond really sucking and it really is m- maybe he should have been given more direction as to what to do because it's clear yeah. the methods he's trying while they're working they are done in the sloppiest methods possible because he's essentially going to like i don't know borderline like scare claire into alana's office uh to essentially get her in the same room as jack yeah, uh, it works. Also, why is this Alana's job in the sideways? Uh, I don't know. I really wish I think it would have worked better if it had involved more of the candidates. Like, I understand if it was like, for some reason, this is an inherently different reaction. But if it's like the reading of the will somehow has Jack and Kate and Sawyer and Saeed in the same room, that would make more sense because of what Alana has said. Right. Her job was to protect the candidates. That would make more sense. This more so felt like a bone to throw to the actress after what they did last episode. I believe this is the last appearance of the character in the series. Yeah. It was more so like, hey, remember the quote-unquote shocking death of Alana? Well, we'll bring her back to sort of dole that taste in the next episode. Yeah, uh, maybe they just had, you know, they needed to uh, bring her back to fulfill the contract or something like that. But mm. um, if they needed to do that, then they could have... Uh, you know, at the very least, they could have had her, uh, if they were going to blow up Alana anyway, she should have just blown up in the drone strike, you know? Mm. Uh, like, maybe that's an opportunity for, like, a shocking character death, and she can push Jack out of the way and protect a candidate or something like that. You know, maybe on the beach at the end of this episode, that's where you lose Alana, rather than just having her blow up for putting a bag down give her some you know give her a role in her own demise would have been nice uh at the very least um but i don't know i don't know mike anyway desmond is uh icky icky poo poo right now don't like don't like um on the island uh this is this is uh this sequence is one of my favorite sequences uh certainly in the episode 
maybe in the final season. I really enjoyed mm. this moment. I think it's just, this is the scramble. It's before tribal council, right? Like, here's the plan. You're going to all get together. Sawyer, I need you and Kate to go and get the boat. Uh, all right, Saeed, I need you to come with me. And then Locke and Saeed walk away. And Sawyer's like, okay, Jack, I need you to give me a hand with something. We're not doing what Locke said. I've got mm. to deal with Widmore. Double back to this spot. What about Saeed and Claire? Saeed's a zombie and Claire's nuts. She tried to kill Kate. We're not letting it happen again. Hugo's son and Chesty. That's it. Figure out a way. Uh, and they go. And Kate's saying, what happened? And he says, uh, guy talk. And then it's just, it's all very fast. And the music is very action adventure underneath it. And it's just so swift and quippy. And I dig it. This is, this is the stuff. This is like the old vibe of, okay, we mm. got to go off into the jungle and do a thing. Everybody's got an agenda in this scene. They're competing agendas, conflicting agendas. And I think it's really, really cool. It's a good point, and I think it very much is vibes of those penultimate episodes, specifically of seasons yes. one and three, right? Where, like, a plan has to be put into motion. Uh, it's odd that it happens, and, you know, the fourth to last episode that we're covering here, but I guess that was a sign that this plan was going to quite literally blow up in their faces. Bad idea on Sawyer's part to not let Kate in, uh, because she's obviously going to find out later. Again, this is very much season one vibes. Right, of people withholding information from Kate, despite her being like one of the low key knowledgeable characters on the show, who's a good go with person. Uh, the fact that they said, no, you know what? It's fine. She doesn't need to know because of her connection with Claire, I think was just maybe it was Sawyer putting his nose down and trying to charge forward while making this character based decision on Claire, but not a good choice. Uh, to basically say, yeah, Kate will come over despite the fact that I won't let her in on the fact that the very reason why she's, she came to the island is not coming with us. So Locke is going to tell Saeed, uh, I need you to go out into the jungle. There's a well. Desmond is inside. I want you to kill Desmond. If Why? you still want, Why? If Why? you still want what you asked for, you'll go and do it. Why didn't he just do it himself? Why? Desmond's not a candidate. Why did why did you throw him down a well? We we we'll, we will see. Despite Desmond quipping that the well looked deep, uh, it really does not look that deep. <laughs> you like you could he could it was what probably like a twelve foot drop honestly. Locke took a bigger spill when he uh became paraplegic for the first time than what Desmond does here. It just seeing the well in real life and seeing John Loki's plan apparently get brought to life just brings up several questions for me as to like what what were you doing, dude? What were you intending to do here? Yeah, here's the thing. Like it doesn't really connect for me. From a story perspective, it make it makes me. This is this is what you said before about building the plane in the air. It feels like there is not based on where we end up going that there doesn't seem to be a real reason for this. Why did he just throw him down the well? Why didn't he kill him himself? Like it just feels like these are things that are just happening. Um, yeah, it feels it feels like very late in the game there's some panic writing happening this feels like panic writing of like well i guess saeed should go and try and kill desmond now like but for what reason really uh it's just kind of sloppy it's just a little sloppy and it's it's not my favorite thing that being said i really like it when saeed goes to the well and i love Mm -hmm. that we get this moment that feels like a echo of the constant and a moment where Desmond and Saeed, a very underrated pair together, as we have said before, have a really great moment that 
frankly wakes Saeed up and makes him, uh, you know, pushes him back on the right path for the rest of his life. So I really enjoy this moment. I just don't love how we got here. And those two feelings can exist simultaneously. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree. Before we get into the sound, it just, it's a really great moment for Saeed. I think there was a way you could skirt around this rather than John Loki throws Desmond into the well and then, you know, forces Saeed to have this literal do or die moment. You know, yeah. I'm not entirely, maybe Saeed has the autonomy to go kill Desmond himself. Maybe yes. that's the thing. It's, it's like, maybe. don't make it John Loki's plan. Maybe have John Loki try to carry around Desmond for as long as possible for use as a chess piece in this game against Winmore. Saeed decides to break free, you know, almost unlike what he does with Anna Lucia. He decides, okay, this is the moment where I'm going to kill Desmond to take the piece off the table. And then this conversation happens, right? Like show that Saeed has this capacity to come in dark and come out light to pull that full Anakin. It just feels odd to me that okay john loki's big plan was to trap desmond in a well even though desmond was totally willing to go with john loki in the first place you didn't have to put him in a location and then have saeed kill him you had his trust already you lost it when you threw him down a well uh you know you didn't necessarily need to dig yourself into a hole and then climb back out of it yeah. All right. Well, let's climb into the hole with Saeed and Desmond and listen in to their conversation down the well. So what did he offer you? If you're going to shoot me in cold blood, brother. I think I have a right to know what you get in exchange for it. He told me I could get something back. I lost. And what did you lose? The woman I loved. And where is she now? Dead. Oh, what makes you think a lot can bring her back? I died. And he brought me back. So what will you tell her? What do you mean? This woman, when she asks you what you did to be with her again, Will you tell her? Let's get my one gripe for this scene out of the way. Sure. Uh, I hate the vagueness continued from sundown as to who Saeed's talking about. Uh, it just it continues to serve as a little bit of a rug pull for the Shannon thing. Doesn't help that the next scene, which we're going to get into after discussion of this, is going back to Nadia really hammers home this idea in our head of, oh, it must be Nadia that he's talking about. And it doesn't feel like one of those twists that like, oh, they tricked us. That's very fun. You know, Jack was actually in 2007 instead of 2004 uh, or, you know, before he a flash forward instead of a flashback. This just feels like really setting us up for one thing and then almost out of nowhere, pumping it into the other direction. So I'm not a fan of Saeed continuing to be vague of, oh, the woman I love died. I mean, every, I everything else I aside of that is great. I mean, I definitely read it as he's talking about Nadia. 
you know, I definitely read it as the that, you know, it's it's maybe it's vague and maybe he, you know, the Shannon thing happens at the end of the season. But in this moment and in sundown, I one million percent read it as Saeed is talking about Nadia, not that he's talking about Shannon. Um, I think that what happens in in the sideways uh, that it's Shannon that wakes up Saeed can be read a ton of different ways. And many of them are like, well, this is just stupid. Uh, it's definitely, you know, a <laughs> A lot of them could just kind of circle back to that point. But like one of them it could be that the thing that wakes up Saeed is the thing that he never really realized, which is that he was loved. You know, he's loved mm. by people and that the he was The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. You know, and he was needed by people and that he protected people and that he helped people and that Shannon is an embodiment of that to a certain extent there. But I think that for the rest of his, you know, natural life, he is obsessed with how he failed a person and how, you know, he directly led to the death of the woman that he loved and he would do anything to undo that mistake and and fix that. I don't think that anything in Saeed's mortal life especially in this final season, makes sense if you think that he, in this moment, is still carrying a torch for Shannon. So there's just no world where that tracks for me even a little bit. Mm. I mean, I think I think that the show isn't doing Saeed favors by keeping it vague, to your point. And, and that's um, the thing, is I think, though, while I agree with you, I think the reason why they did this is so then they point back to these moments and be like, but see... It could have been referring to Shannon. So, like, don't be surprised that it was Shannon at the end. I think it really is that sort of have your cake and eat it too thing of, okay, well, we're going to have this big surprise at the end, but you can't complain about it because we did imply it over the course of the season. Totally. Uh, I think that that, I think that that's right. Uh, or at least it can read that way for sure. Um, and that's not ideal. That's not great. That being said, if you do read it as Nadia, which I do, uh, then I think that it's still a really powerful scene. And Desmond, this is one of his, uh, one of his great moments here in the final season of what are you going to say to her? Like if, yeah. so let's say this, this comes through, let's say he brings her back. What are you going to tell her about how you brought her back? And it's such a good point that I think for Saeed at that moment, he's like, he's absolutely right. What am I doing? What mm. am I doing right now? I'm going to kill Desmond this guy um and i love that sort of uh like the electromagnetic radiation of love from desmond hume is what wakes saeed up forget about the sideways it wakes him up now this is the much more important wake-up call for saeed jarrah that he's like this is crazy what am i doing Uh, and he's not like fully going to reject the man in black at this point but i think you can read a lot of his interactions with the man in black for the rest of the season which is a very short period of time (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh as him kind of trying to figure out well what the hell am i gonna do here like what's going on i think he's still in that like punch drunk daze to a certain extent He's a Manchurian candidate who woke up a little bit from the hypnosis yeah. uh, and sort of has to realize, well, now I'm in a sticky situation. I can't exactly hop over to the other side. What do I do? But I mean, he's going to make a very pivotal moment later on when he lies to John Loki uh, about what he did. I, I just think it's such an interesting moment for Saeed because I think the specific language that Desmond uses really drills back to the heart of who Saeed is as a character, right? Which is, he is sort of like this bleeding heart romantic 
who did bad things for what he thought was a good cause, but as we talked about in season five, has immensely regretted it ever since, uh, who has felt like he has tried to atone for his sins, found like he could never do so to the point where he ends up trying to kill a child because he just feels like he's a killer. It's a really cold shot of water to remind Saeed of like, yeah, remember, you know, uh, if we're talking about means to an end, Good things, bad actions do not necessarily produce a good ending and completely make up for the other. Yeah. Uh, and I think that having Saeed sort of realize that brings brings it back to the heart of the character in a perspective. And I think really rocks him back to reality. So it's, it's a small thing because if you watch it in real time, right, the mist, you, you might think, oh, Saeed killed Desmond off screen. Uh, who knows what the hell happened? But then between what happens next episode and of course seeing Desmond in the end, you realize that no, that was Saeed's turn. He does let Desmond out of the well, but it's a, it's a very big moment. And I think very thematically linked to not only Saeed the character, but like you said, the really, great bond these two shared we talked about this in the constant how it was perfect that saeed was the person to be there considering he was probably one of the most romantic characters at the time on the show besides desmond let's talk about the music here for a second josh the lafleur theme the sawyer brings a flower to juliet music yeah well plays during the course bringing of a flower to saeed I, I, yeah, I suppose so. It's interesting, though, because, I mean, also there's the imagery, right, where Juliet fall fell down a chasm uh, yeah. and she was found at the bottom. Here, Desmond is almost like rekindling that feeling of someone who is long gone, who represents that romanticism and, and it being brought back. Yeah, uh, I think that, that that it works. Uh, you know, it's not their music, but, you know, uh, I think it's evocative. <laughs> Imagine of a if there's waking up music and it's like all the scenes that Saeed and Desmond had and they're the true OTP. I'm into it. I'm totally into it. Um, in the sideways, Saeed comes home. This is the last we see of Nadia, uh, yep. I believe, uh, when he tells her, I'm never going to be able to come back. I have to pack a bag. Uh, please stall the cops. Even in this moment, in their final moment together, he's kind of asking her to do an unsavory thing. Um, I think that it you know, really speaks to his feelings of deep unworthiness of this person and how even just being around this person, he's corrupting this woman that he loves. Um, it's you know, a borderline dangerous message. Uh, some of the stuff that's happening with Saeed and Nadia here in the final season, but I can track it to a certain extent. The thing that I enjoy the most, obviously, is Sawyer tripping Saeed with a hose. Oh, so bad. It's how, something long, I- how long is he out there in the backyard holding the hose? Uh, I mean, my, I'm assuming when Miles takes his position at the door. So they were only in there for what, like 30 three seconds? Minutes. Let's call it three minutes. You think it's three minutes that Sawyer's crouched out minutes. there holding yeah. the hose? Yeah, let's call it that. That is commitment to a ruse. But man, he's straight up Kevin McAllister, Saeed. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty damn good. And it's a fun callback to also their season one dynamic as well, right? Where like they were obviously not the best of friends. Uh, Saeed once had Sawyer captive. Now Sawyer has Saeed captive. And it's also fun for the first time since the beginning of Recon. We could actually watch james ford be a good cop yeah he's really good at this uh him and miles are a great team together uh so that's it in the sideways for saeed right now certainly curtain call on nadia yeah farewell nadia i mean should also say again curtain call on desmond until the finale we will not see him for the rest of the regular episodes of season six yep that's it he's got one more episode and then he's done um sawyer takes kate to the sailboat you ready to get wet Yep, uh, besides that fun euphemistic line, uh, which is also, I think, of, I don't know if it's an intentional, but it reminds me a bit of them swimming in the beginning of whatever the case may be. I know uh-huh. you 
like to forget that episode. Oh, well, they also have a, a much more evocative moment like that in uh, literally the series finale. Uh, mm. So uh, when they both jump into the water together, feels very much like those olden days. Like, great. That's let's true. call out my least favorite. Uh, this is good. <laughs> Speaking very, of very olden funny. days, uh, hey, the Elizabeth. It's been a while. Yeah, it's just been chilling in the cove. Since the beginning of season three, right? Since the others commandeered the boat. It had been just chilling in the cove for three years while Desmond was in the swan station. So why not? You know? Yeah, I suppose so. I like it's got a hell of an anchor, right? Considering how much this island moved through space and time multiple times. It got moved and the boat got moved along with it. See, Elizabeth just wants to be here. You know, what are you going to do? The island's not quite done with it yet. Not quite. Um, But the island, or at least Sawyer, is done with Claire. When he tells Kate what the plan is, you didn't say Claire. Yeah, she's not coming. The the Claire you came back for is gone. She's dangerous. Do you really want her around, Aaron? Um, This just doesn't really feel like Sawyer to me. That's the thing. It's very much... It feels like an old Sawyer, but this is not the same guy. Like, I feel like him saying, like, we're cutting our losses on Claire just doesn't feel right to me. The only thing I can think of is that, and Sawyer is going to evoke this later on, right, when he says, we're done going back, Kate. I think when Sawyer saw, when he formulated that sub-plan, he is ready to cut any and all ties to the island and just move forward, which is interesting considering that this is a guy who put down roots for three years thinking there was no way that, you know, the Ajura people would ever come back. And so I think considering how much trauma he faced with Juliet... I think he saw an opportunity to say, I can finally leave this behind. Very much calling back to season one, Sawyer, right? Who just like want to get off the island at no cost, despite uh, nothing really to come back to. And so I think, unfortunately, at the expense of that, it's him just sort of like saying, yeah, we'll just cut loose any weight that we need to. As long as we get off the island, let's leave behind anyone who was corrupted by it, anyone who was tainted by it, anyone who was influenced by it. I think that incorporates into kicking Jack off the boat. It really isn't a good move. I think it's over-the-top brusque. And like I said, I could see Sawyer's perspective, but I think it is way too much of a shift. I think we needed something more gradual. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so for now, Kate is going to continue with the plan. Um, in the jungle, Locke is leading the group. Uh, Jack's going to have his second conversation with Claire as uh, siblings. How long have you been with Locke? Ever since you left. She trusts him because he didn't abandon her. Um, John Locke's going to try to talk to son. Oh, you're giving me the silent treatment. Well, you did this to me. This is so stupid. This is so... What a stupid move on John Loki's part. Even if you don't know that she got knocked out and can't speak English, you chased her into a tree branch. You're not going to think she has bad blood against you? Yeah. Uh well the the whole the whole storyline thankfully is about to end here but it it really is basically pointless. I really don't know why we did it. Um so he's like I'm sorry son I didn't do anything to you. Uh and he's going to go back. He wants to go all the way back to camp to make sure no one was left behind. Specifically he says that Saeed was supposed to meet them. So I think he's pretty much just trying to double back to meet Saeed and make yep. sure that you know essentially that that loose thread was tied up. The least smooth human being on the planet, Dr. Jack Shepard, is like, Hurley, Frank, and son, stay with me. 
And rolls a, like, rolls a natural me? one on his stealth check to be <laughs> yeah. like, because Sawyer said, you know, the plan is gather these specific people and squirrel your way out of there. And so Jack, like John Loki's in earshot even. And Jack's like, all right, four people, please come with me. Everyone keep walking. Mind your business. But it's only ridiculous. these four people, please it's, come with me. It's absurd. And Claire is watching. She's like, hey, why am I not with you guys? And uh, she doesn't actually say this, but she's staring daggers at them, and she follows them as they uh, race off. Yeah, because of course she does, because a group just walked off. Of course she's going to follow them. Yeah, unbelievably ridiculous. Um, Loki and Saeed are going to reunite. What took so long? I just shot an unarmed man. I needed a moment. And uh, he asks, did, like, oh, well, if you don't think I did it, why don't you go check? Go and check if you like. I mean, uh, what do you think would have happened if he did, though? Because he would have seen, seen an empty well. Yeah. And what would he have done? Well, there was no one in the well, uh, or I, I don't know that Rose and Bernard got him out of the well yet. Uh, he'd probably still be in there. <laughs> I don't like, know what he would say. Hey there, Boxman. Yeah, hey, Boxman. Um, all right, so Jack and friends are going to find the boat. They all get on the boat. Nice job, Doc. Eh, was it? We're going to see that somebody else tailed along. Sound number five. Uh-oh. Where are you going? Claire. It's okay. Kate. We're leaving the island. Then uh, why aren't you waiting for John? Because that's not John, and whoever he is, he's not one of us. Claire. Come with us. I can get you back to Aaron. Wait a damn Sawyer, shut up. She's coming or I'm not. Come with us, Claire. John promised no, me. No, I'm promising you. I was there when he was born. And I never should have raised him. It should have been you. I came back to get you so you could be with him again. It's the only reason I came back to the island, Claire. So please come with us. Let's go home. Right, get on the boat for Lockett's here. Is that we're gone? He's gonna be mad. I mean, Kate is awesome in this episode. Claire was indoctrinated to follow the man in black for three years, and Claire brings her back over with one conversation. Her power. Her power. Yeah. Uh, she, she really plays this perfectly. Uh, and it's, it's not a manipulation. It's very deeply honest. This is sort of, you know, culminative stuff 
for Claire, for Kate, rather. This is what she came here for. She came here to save Claire and bring Aaron's birth mother back. You know, she's still operating as Aaron's mother, Kate is, mm-hmm. you know, and it's important to her child to have uh, Claire safe and sound and at home. Uh, and I think that the way that she plays it is, is obviously super effective because she's able to get Claire to come with her. Um, but beyond that, it's just so truthful to the point that when Claire does agree to come, Kate doesn't like push the issue in a huge way. Uh, but there is the gesture of her like, give me the gun. You cannot have the gun on the, on the, on the boat. Uh, you have to give this to me. You know, she just like kind of reaches out her hand and takes the gun. And that's when Claire gives her the gun and says, he's going to be really mad at us. Um, but she does it. She fully pulls it off and she pulls it off really, really, really well. This is the Kate Austin that um, it feels like forever ago. But you yeah. and I were so high on Kate in season one. This is that same character. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, it's a big move as well, considering that. It's very symbolic, you know, Claire was someone who has had her guard up for three years, feeling like she was abandoned, that, you know, people had taken her child and so she became that new so and felt like she had to have a weapon at all times. The fact that she's giving it over is really her letting her guard down to becoming a bit of a Claire that Kate remembers from back in the day. But let's also say it's a pretty symbolic thing for Kate to say, you know, I was there when Aaron was born and I should never have raised him. It really calls back to me that incredibly heartbreaking scene in Whatever Happened Happened, where Kate, I think, loved being Aaron's mother. I think it was an incredibly formative moment for her, but I think it's a big admission on her part to say, this was not my place to do this. You know, that's almost like undoing a major milestone in your life and calling it a mistake. I don't know if part of that is a bit of double language to try to get Claire on board, but if not, it is an incredibly big admission for for Kate, who, you know, arguably when we were talking about how were the Oceanic Six living off island was probably living the best life in that she really was not that miserable in comparison to the other characters. For her to essentially say like it was a bad thing for me to do, it's it's a tough look. Yeah. Uh but it works. Claire's on the boat. She's officially on board. Um in the sideways we'll get a little more Claire because Jack is going to meet Miss Verdansky uh for the reading of the will. Uh little David's coming along. Very uh, ride or die, baby Dave. Such a good I mean, listen, all it what took apparently was Yeah, all it took was attending this dude's piano recital and it's like, Yeah, Dad, I'm uh, in. I'm I'm here for you. He's a for fantastic everything. wingman. Uh Jack says, you know, yeah, it's kinda weird uh kind of sad to be here at your grandfather's will reading and david just says no i'm sad for you yeah dad it's like i'm sad for you he's, he's a super good wingman this episode yes absolutely uh so jack is gonna be uh called into the meeting with alana and claire is here as well um and this is going to be the much more emotionally satisfying version of jack and claire realizing that they are in each other's lives i don't know let's listen sound six and we'll then we'll talk it through on the other side mr shepherd hello and you must be david hi we're set up in the conference room i've got a surprise for you do you believe in fate This is Claire Littleton. Claire, this is Mr. Shepard and his son, David. Hello, I'm, I'm Jack Shepard. Hi, it's, uh, it's really nice to meet you. You found her? Actually, she found us. 
You were in my father's will. Do you mind if I ask you how you knew him? He was my father too. Yeah, this is Dr. Shepard. No, no, it's not a very good time. Yes, they can go ahead and prep him. I'm 20 minutes away. I'm so sorry. There's been an emergency at the hospital. And, um... We're gonna have to reschedule. You know who the lawyer should have been? Who? Mr. Echo. Ooh, well, that would involve getting AAA to be like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but yeah, but I'm talking about perfect world here because I think it would have been really interesting, right? The connection with Claire, considering the whole baptism thing. I just think the whole "Do you believe in fate?" line could have been very fun coming out of AAA's mouth, considering his whole famous "Do not mistake coincidence for fate" line. Um, that would have been lovely. Uh, is being a lawyer thematically consistent with? Mr. Echo, I guess, would be my follow-up well, question. let me, you know, not to uh, broad swipe the idea of religion, but, you know, in both cases, you are taking a strict set of moral mm-hmm. circumstances and applying them to make judgments, are you not? No, you are. So I think I think it actually could be an interesting thing here if, you know, if Mr. Echo is now instead and maybe this is an idea of like what Echo would have become if had he not been sorted into this life that he had not been chosen, uh, as he talks about in The Cost of Living, right? This idea of like, oh, he is someone who is still laying down judgments and able to help people in a way, but maybe not in a intrinsically religiously linked way. Yeah, uh, I like that. I mean, there's all all the talk in the in the Swan Station between Echo and John about the rule of law, yeah, uh, the book of, the book of laws. Um, so I think that that could work. I just you know, Alana being here does feel much more like they're just fulfilling a contract than <laughs> yeah. anything else. All right, um, yeah, come in, come in and deal like your three lines. But the but the but this meeting between Jack and Claire is just. You know, obviously, we can't really replicate that on the island in quite the same way because Jack found out um, in the church uh, back mm-hmm. in the end of season four about Claire. But getting this moment of sort of, you know, stunned realization between the Shepherd siblings is still like a vibe that could have been evoked in a bigger way in the uh, in the final season that I think that they miss. And I feel like a lot of that is because there is this huge split-brained energy between trying to resolve the online, not the online, the island storyline, <laughs> the extremely offline <laughs> island storyline, dad, uh, and uh, trying to resolve that while also trying to resolve this very, very complex and elaborate storyline that was crafted just for the final season uh, and had really no basis in anything until now. Um, you want to call it a mistake or not? No, certain people will say that they will, uh, that it was. Uh, you know, it, it is It is definitely, I think, 
there are consequences to the decision to go to the sideways. Does it pay off? Is it beautiful in so many ways? Absolutely. Um, are there consequences to the choice of doing the sideways as a huge focus for the final season? I think that we're seeing them uh, in this mm-hmm. episode. Even when we have good scenes, I think you're still seeing like that scene could have been an episode. It's like yeah. the opposite of this meeting could have been an email. This email should have <laughs> been a meeting. Yes, I love that. That's a perfect way to describe this episode. But for what it's worth, Matthew Fox does a really great job playing it in this moment because I think complex is the way to describe Jack's reaction to this. He is stunned because remember, in Lighthouse, he obviously sees Claire Littleton in the whale, but like he has no idea who she is. I think maybe the last thing he would have thought on on his list is that Christian Shepard had had another family. And so it really is a, a stunning revelation from that perspective. I guess it's a happy distraction that he's called away to do hours long intensive surgery. But just the way Matthew Fox reacts to it, it's very different from the moment that we saw in There's No Place Like Home, right, where he's just, like, smiling and nodding, but internally screaming behind the eyes. Here, it's just, like, being hit by a Mack truck, and it's very much the difference between a private versus a public setting. Yeah, I think Desmond's like, oh, I should have gotten a Mack truck. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, maybe he would have overdone it then. John Locke is dead. He's a pile of goo. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't even even operate on this. (laughs) Um, On the boat... We get uh, one of the only uh, scenes between Sawyer and Frank ever, but it's great. Yeah, this is where he the, calls the, him chesty. He tells the him season the four co-MVPs sharing some screen time together. Yeah, just a couple of MVPs hanging out, hanging out. Uh, really love seeing the season four MVPs together. Uh, he tells Frank the plan. He's like, all right, Chesty, here's the plan. And Frank goes, oh, I love the plan. Uh, these two guys would have gotten along very, very well. And I, and I imagine they do after the island, right? Like, I imagine they stay, re- I don't know, though maybe Franks are just, like, effed off after, for those three years after uh, they got back off island, right? So, like, maybe he does the exact same thing this time. Yeah, uh, for sure. Frank says, oh, I saw some canned food downstairs. Who wants to eat some canned food with me? Hopefully there's uh, bacon. Yeah. Uh, it is very, 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 very deeply old food on the elizabeth mm. if they were talking about the canned food if this i mean i guess the it, it may just be kind of old canned food yeah, it's not it's not as old as the crackers that hurley ate at the season four finale well there's there's six years old at least right if it's uh yeah. if if it's from desmond's original voyage Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's at least three years old if the canned food is Dharma goods that, uh, that what's his face, Kelvin, uh, brought mm-hmm. on the Elizabeth in his attempt to escape. Um, but that itself could be old food depending on when the pallet drop was. Uh, either way, uh, you know, I guess this is what the, the, the preppers are talking about. They will get, get as much canned food as you can get for circumstances like these. Specifically, yes, for when your boat may be unmoored sitting on an island for six years. Yeah, unmoored. Um, okay, so everyone's going to go downstairs except for Kate, Sawyer, and Jack. And Sawyer is going to be nice as he, you know, observes the Dalton <laughs> well, if, if this is him being nice, I don't want to see him when he's mean. He says he's going to be nice, and he is going to go and talk to Jack. Let's listen in Sound 7. Didn't think you'd show up, Doc. Sorry? Taking orders ain't your strong suit. Nice to see you finally came around. 
doesn't feel right. What doesn't feel right? Leaving the island. Wanna tell me why not? Because I remember how I felt last time I left. Like a part of me was missing. We got pills for that, Doc. We were brought here because we're supposed to do something, James. And if Locke, if that, if that thing wants us to leave, maybe he's afraid of what happens if we stay. Get off my damn boat. What? You got a decision to make and you make it now. Either you're with us, you keep that damn crazy talk to yourself or you're going in the water. James, this is a mistake. And I know there's a part of you that feels that. The island's not done with this yet. Yeah, well, I'm done with this island. So you want to take a leap of faith, Jack? Take it. Get off my damn boat. Sorry that I got Julia killed. An incredibly rich scene. It's a good scene. It is. It's really, really, really fun. Well, because what this boils down to, Josh, is that Jack is now being imbued with almost the spirits of everyone he has opposed previously, talking to someone who is parroting back things Jack has said, right? This is him fighting himself in the Dagobah system inside that hollowed out tree trunk. I love it because you could argue, yes, this is absolutely shades of that conversation and there's no place like home between Jack and John at the Orchid, right? With John saying it doesn't feel right to leave the island and Jack saying, you know, no, it is. And John says, you're making a mistake, uh, right? This stubbornness of moving on versus going back. But I also feel like Jack is also coming in from a bit of a Sawyer angle as well, especially given the fact that he does make the sacrifice play and leaf off the boat at the end as well. So I love this idea that Jack's probably biggest two antagonists besides Ben on this show have been Sawyer and Locke. And here he is kind of acting like them both in the face of Sawyer, who is probably at his jackiest in this moment. His jackiest. Oh, my God. I love that. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it feels 
it feels like these two characters who have been, um, you know, sort of ships in the night for so long, who have kind of in some ways turned into each other at different points during the show, have now become new versions of themselves, even still, where Jack is sort of trying to see the world through the lens of John Locke, but maybe even, you know, not not necessarily past that, but still being true to himself while also, you know, taking into account the perspective that he had denied for so long. And I think for Sawyer, he's trying really badly to regroup after what had happened to him during, um, you know, the, the finale of season five and the start of this season, um, while still integrating the things that carried him through the day for three years. Um, and in many ways, these two people just do not mix because, you know, it's it's reductive, but Jack is Locke and Sawyer is Jack now. Uh, and like that is sort of Look where... Look at me. Look at me. I am the Jack now. I'm the Jackton now. You know, that's sort of what has happened. Yeah. And I think it also is a matter of perspective. Look no further than when Jack says, you know, when I left the island, it felt like part of me was missing. And Sawyer says, they got pills for that now. Now, on paper, you think that's a throwaway line. But let's remember... Jack could easily doing that. Yeah, exactly. And so I think actually, though, it's a much deeper line from that perspective then, because essentially it's almost a reminder to Jack of Sawyer has not been through what I've been through. Right. It's almost like Jack is looking on Sawyer and saying, you're you remind me of me three years ago. Sweet summer child. You have no idea. I had your attitude. I had this exact same conversation. I left the island. I became the worst person that I've ever been. And it forced me back to where I was now. I have to go with my gut. I'm not leaving. And it just speaks to, yes, Sawyer may be making some pretty big errors in this episode. But I think, you know, his attitude comes from a place of, I don't want to say ignorance, but the fact that he does not know what Jack specifically has been through off island the confidence with which he has been imbued that coming back to this island was the right thing to do uh jack is also making a very correct call here of like hey if john loki really wants us to leave the island uh shouldn't we be staying because he's the bad guy uh you know clearly if he wants us out of the way something must be happening here also another piece of language that i think is really interesting leap of faith It's mentioned, uh, which calls back to orientation, right? When both Helen talks to Locke and subsequently when Locke talks to Jack about how they become the first two button pushers in the hatch is that you have to take a leap of faith. I just think while this might just be an old, oh, Sawyer and Jack square off against each other scene. Hell, there's even a callback to one of my more maligned episodes, Adrift. Sawyer tells Jack, get the hell off my damn boat. Michael told Sawyer, get the hell off my damn raft when they were fighting in a drift. There are so many callbacks to the beats these characters and events these characters have experienced throughout their time on and off island. It is a much deeper scene than I think I ever thought until I really read it line for line. Yes, uh, it's really, really good. I really love the scene. I think that the dialogue is great. Kate's reaction is really good. Jack just, uh, you know, pencil diving in uh, is really, really great. The the cinematography, the fact that it's just a, a clear blue day also, like the color mm-hmm. is really gorgeous. Um, it's cool. It's a yeah. really, it's a really good moment. And I think in a lot of ways, it could have gone to fisticuffs once again between these two guys. And instead, I think it builds to something kind of special. And it yeah. happens in this sort of just whatever of an episode. 
And let's also look at Jack. I mean, Jack, for lack of a better term, probably thought his final words to Sawyer were going to be, I'm sorry I got Juliet killed, which is a big thing, right? We talked about this in Everybody Loves Hugo, that his admission as to his own culpability behind Juliet's death is a big deal. And the fact that, like, this is possibly the last thing he would ever want to say to Sawyer is almost like absolving, uh, not absolving of that sin, but almost like checking off that box, making amends in a way. And then, of course, we have the fantastic mirror of Kate now being the one saying we have to go back and get him. And then Sawyer replying, we're done going back, Kate. Like, yes, Sawyer's at his jackiest, but he has not gone full Jack. That beard has not grown any longer. Yes, uh, it really has not. Um, okay, so Jack's in the water. Uh, he, we're done going back. We're not going back for him. In the sideways, Sun wakes up in the hospital. Uh, everything's going to be okay. That's what they yeah, say. Uh, I, there's a shot of sleeping Jin holding Sun's hand. Do you think this foreshadows the ominous shot from the next episode? Yep. Yes. You think so? I I, yeah. I would li- I would like it. I I would personally think that you know hope yeah. that it's true. Yeah, I think so. Um, Jack and David are together. Wow, Dad, did you know about? Well, Grandpa, what a scoundrel! <laughs> uh, wow, he was throwing it in everywhere. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, good luck, Dad. You got to do some surgery now. All right, Dad, you got this. All right, I'm just gonna go bum around the hospital for a few hours. <laughs> Baby Dave just uh, really uh, showing up for his dad. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll maybe, Ju- maybe Juliet's around on call. Maybe he'll I'll be able to stop mom. by. Uh, Jack's going to go. He's going to start uh, scrubbing in for surgery. Uh, and look who that is. I know this guy. Yeah. It's John All Locke. The, the dural sack is obliterated, like more linguine than angel hair pasta. But yes. yeah, I mean, this is going to be a, a big deal that plays out over the next few episodes, you know, perhaps yes. one of the bigger meanings. And I think actually a really fun parallel between both timelines here where Jack leaves his sister, newfound sister Claire, behind for John Locke or someone that looks like him. Uh, when Jack in uh, in island time rolls up to the beach, John Loki is waiting for him with the, the remnants of his of his entourage. It's a nice day for a swim. It really is. By yes, the way. which is also, though, whether he intends it or not, a callback to let's go back again to there's no place like home, right? Doesn't Sawyer say that to Juliet when he mm-hmm. swims back? Yeah, so they're really connecting the characters here. Uh, Sawyer took my boat, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, so over at Hydra, we see what happens with the boat. Uh, Sawyer and everybody show up and immediately get surrounded by Seamus and Zoe and the idiots. Uh, <laughs> and they pull their guns out. Uh, yes, but, and- but then Sawyer gives us a, like, come on! We just had this moment like five episodes ago. I'm, I'm, we're buddies. I'm here. Yeah. We're amigos. Yeah. Uh, not great. Uh, and then Jin and Sun are going to see each other finally. Let's listen in. Sound eight. Sun? Someone got their voice back. We'll never be apart again. I promise you. 
I kept Zoe in there because someone's asking a rhetorical question in well, response to Jin's I'm, statement. I'm glad you kept Zoe in there because, listen, I love that Jin and Sun are back together. It took a long time to get to this point. Um, and I know that this is really effective for, for many people. Some people were really, really loving it in this, um, in, in watching the, uh, in watching the episode when, uh, we did this with the patrons the other night. Uh, but it doesn't, it just doesn't land for me as hard as I want it to. There's just, it's, it almost feels like a, at certain points, like a really platonic reunion between Jin and Sun. The fact that they're surrounded by, you know, some of the worst characters we've ever seen on Lost. <laughs> you don't deserve this, Widmore goons. You, you know, don't they, deserve to be here. The, Wid, the Widmore goons, like, are bookending the scenes that this is happening within the Widmore goons, like, getting everybody rounded up. So that sucks that it's wrapped in, like, this really stale blanket, this scene. Uh, it's just terrible to me and another instance of you know what what we've been talking about a little bit of like the rush job for the final season is like well we got to get sin and son and Jin back together (laughs) so we have to have them get back together when we get i guess the widmore goons have to be there great shit okay (laughs) fine and then i know the one that you really dislike is the um well look who got her voice back moment uh from frank it's a little cheese um it's just it really pales in comparison to when Jin and son reunited in season two for instance Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i just think that we've done this better and this should have been really 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 deeply impactful considering how long they were apart considering that they uh, you know son spent the better part of three years thinking he was dead um and it it's not that it's a bad scene necessarily to me but yeah i guess you know i'll just own it like i don't really like it i don't i don't i really don't feel it with the Jin and Sun reunion in the way that I think I'm supposed to. I, in the way that I know I'm supposed to. It breaks my quan loving heart to say I agree with you, Josh. I I God, I wish this could have been something more. I really do, because we, to be honest, deserved it. These characters, except for flashback scenes and flash sideways scenes, have not interacted with each other since the finale of season four. And here they are back together. It feels cute but not as passionate as like you said when we get that reunion in season two hell that reunion is going to lead to the conception of a child uh that's how passionate it is it feels you know maybe it's that they're exhausted by the end of it all i think the any sort of romanticism for me honestly pulls me out with frank's line not only because it's cheese but it's also a reminder of the stupid ass doesn't speak english storyline you know what actually like there are small changes that i think really could have been improved here bump it back honestly we talked about this in the package how this is something that could have really been brought up in an earlier episode don't surround the Winmore coons around it because they don't deserve to be there and you know what even just the effect of yes they're talking english to each other and i understand it's this idea of like oh but it's son's true love that allowed her to wake up and speak english again but i would have loved them talking korean with each other You know, this is something that they shared special and only with one another since the very beginning of the series. If they had been talking Korean together, I think that would have been, I don't know, a really nice nod to season one in an episode full of season one throwbacks. And then maybe what you do is sort of like then sort of subtly weave in as they continue to talk, because, again, they should also have more time. This clip, Josh, is a minute long. We do not need only 60 seconds for the Quan reunion, in my opinion. It is 
so slight this to me. This email they, should have been a meeting. Yeah, that they only spent one minute on this. And then much like you talked about with Alana, right? The, the cardinal mistake of then just not even dedicating time to living in the moment to then just moving on with the brouhaha around it. We get that here, too. We're like, then they're immediately held up. To be honest, I know this is a different ending to the episode, but I would have loved if this ended with the, the the Jin and Sun reunion, or at least we spent more time in it. It is a 42-minute episode, and we should have spent at least more than one minute on the fact that these two have been apart for three years and are coming back together. Yeah, uh, it is a... Uh, the ending of this episode is very sudden and weird. Yeah. Um, that on the other side of this, um, Sawyer's a little sad watching the reunion because he's obviously thinking about Juliet. But then the moment just gets totally ruined by Zoe uh, and they pull the guns back up. They're like, oh, well, that was cute, but you're still under arrest on your knees. We had the deal. The deal's off. And then they, you know, send the drones after the smoke monster. Why do that now? First, why do it at all is a fair question. <laughs> if you're trying to get him to come to Hydra so you can trap him in your pylons or whatever like if you're trying to lure him which is the only thing that makes any level of sense to me as for what they would be trying to do here is to agitate the smoke monster and get him over to hydra why would you do that now when you don't have everybody securely in place and everybody in position it's just another example of horrific widmore crew idiocy these idiots these absolute effing morons um but then like it leads to the drone strike and there's the 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 explosions on the beach uh points to jack for height uh they really he really goes uh the distance uh yeah and i I guess r.i.p uh you know any of the gawkers that were left over i can't imagine it much like the fire arrows from season five that a lot of them ended up surviving besides jack and john loki yeah uh and so uh loki just takes him to the jungle says you all right don't worry you're gonna be okay you're with me now uh and it is a weird sort of non-ending to an episode i I think it's it's meant to be one of those big cliffhangers of like oh no how are they gonna get out of this one and here's the thing again i think lost is always much stronger when it's character-based beats versus plot-based beats and this to me indicates that they skewed a character-based beat in the form of the quans reconnecting to the plot-based beats of the cliffhanger of, okay, 815 is now being captured by Winmore's crew, and now Jack is with John Loki? What's going to happen? And I think that's why it rings so hollow as an ending, is because in an episode that really had so many pops of such character-rich scenes, the fact that it had to end on these plot beats really makes it end with a bit of a thud. Yeah, uh, totally agreed. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's throw it to commercial one last time. We will get into the 4.2 stars. We will get into the MVPs and the LVPs as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, Mike, uh, let's get into it. The last recruit. I think that this is a fun episode of the show. Um, mm. You know, I, my, my score might not really reflect it. Uh, I gave it a 3.3. I went back and forth. It was it was relatively high at one point, and then it got lowered. I think I ultimately landed on the lower side of it because I think it is like it's it's an above average episode of the show for sure uh i think it's a good episode of lost i think it has mm-hmm. some moments that are really 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 fun um it is very very slight and it feels like the first 
hour of a finale level event where, mm. you know, I think that the candidate is going to get a lot of those like big point juicing, you know, uh, like I think that that's where we're going <laughs> to, where we're going to really fuel that one up on uh, the last recruit being, you know, kind of viewed as its own episode as opposed to the candidate part one, which I almost would have really respected is sort of like a toward the end of the season two parter that isn't the mm-hmm. finale I think could have been fun. This feels like the candidate part one. And if you don't view it as a part one, I think it's sort of a strange episode. At least it is for me. Um, I, I really have a lot of nostalgia for it. I really love so much of the vibe, but it is definitely an episode that just does not accomplish a ton in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, my nothing burger categories are usually reserved for like high twos, maybe peaking at a three. And I will revise what I said a couple days ago. This is not a nothing burger episode, but this is a very mixed episode to me in that it really has some high highs. A lot of the sounds that we played, I think, are incredibly fulfilling to show where these characters have come uh, who they came with, who they're leaving with. I think the sideways has some really interesting character connections, but the on island stuff, I was surprisingly hooked into. But there is some still season six wonkiness going on, right? Whether it's the larger picture thinking of this is all great, but why didn't we have this earlier? There's the nonsensical aspects like John Loki's plan to have Saeed kill Desmond or like you understandably gripe before with what is the Widmore crew doing, uh, you know, giving the short shrift to the Quan reunion. Those are points enough to mark it against it in my book a fair amount, but this is a higher score than I would have thought. It's actually, I enjoyed the last recruit, I think better than everybody loves Hugo last week. It's slight. I gave that one, I ended up bumping that one down to a 3.1 and I gave this one a 3.2, uh, which is close to your 3.3. But I think the, 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 the pieces again, like the individual portions of the meal of the last recruit, I really enjoy, even if the meal does not make me feel completely full, at least not as full as everybody loves Hugo. I think if you mine for some nuggets in here, you're going to find some gold. You're going to find some poop as well, but there's some gold to be found. Yeah. Uh, you said nuggets, and I thought about uh, Mr. Clucks again. Oh, boy. But then you, you said get, poop. You have, you have chicken on the brain. But then you said poop. And, and made you I, think even more about fried yeah, chicken. I thought about Mr. Cox again. Uh, 3.3 3 from me, 3.2 from Mike, a 3.2 average from the audience as well. It gives us a 3.25 overall for The Last Recruit. Uh, so it makes it a bottom five episode of the season. Just doing the quick scan of the episodes. Yeah, it feels right. It does yeah. feel right. And, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, considering the remaining three episodes if it ends up still in the bottom five, because I think for this final stretch of episodes, I think it's safe to say this is probably the worst one of them. Yeah, I think so. Uh, if you, you know, taking out across the sea, yes, yes, I think so. Um, and we are taking out across the sea. Obviously we've already done it. Um, yeah, I think that that seems fair to me. Just thinking about the candidate next week is definitely better. Uh, I think what they died for is for sure better. And obviously the end is, uh, you know, the best episode of the season. You can fight me about that. I know that uh, some people are prepared to. Um, okay, so it's number nine. Number nine. 
uh, is where we land there. Um, no feedback this week, Mike, for the last recruit, but I know that there were a couple of things that we wanted to get into. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up because I found this on Lostpedia and it is wild. I don't remember this. I don't know if you do, Josh. We talked a couple times, especially in the beginning of season five, about the commercials for Lost. Trailers for The Last Recruit featured the Pendulum song called Through the Loop. And apparently Through the Loop samples some of the rowing song from Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, that there's no earthly way of knowing. Yes. Which is interesting because I guess if you sort of look at the candidacy program on Lost, is it not a bit like the Dementator of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? Hmm, yeah, I think it can be. I think in many ways it can be. Not enough fizzy lifting drinks, though. Right, but like Hurley maybe has that moment, right? When he leaves the island, that's like his moment where he gets doubted because he does, he leaves the island and now he comes back and, you know, uh, he, he passed the final test, as it were. But yeah, it's just interesting how that all connects. But the other thing that I want to point out, a little bit heavier, heavier than fizzy lifting drink, uh, not incredibly heavy, but we should note here that Everybody Loves Hugo was the last lost music video to date that has been produced by prolific contributor to down the hatch jim fells of course as we talked about a couple weeks ago uh jim welcomed a new turnip head into his life so of course being uh, a new dad has uh not given him enough time to go through the music details that we love and so i just wanted to give like a quick shout out dedicate a bit of time to just thank jim profusely i loved ever since the bend behind the curtain like stumbled upon his videos back in the day and just sort of threw the links to it into our doc that we follow on down the hatch and watching those videos i have been supremely impressed with everything that jim puts out he connects things from an instrumental perspective across seasons from beginning to end like his ear and musical knowledge of the show truly has no bottom to it. It is limitless. And it's also awesome to say that, like, you know, the power of this podcast, Jim has not only become a listener, not only become a patron of Post Show Recast, but I think has also become a dear friend of ours through just down the hatch in general. I believe he, he uh, posted about this in the Discord that, you know, he hadn't really listened to any Lost podcast before Down the Hatch came along. He had heard through word of mouth, I think, that uh, we had been mentioning his videos over the course of the podcast. He started tuning in and it got to a really great working relationship to the point where he writes in every week when he can. He shouted us out in one of his videos with a coming out reference. So, it's just amazing to see as we talk about a show that talks about complete strangers coming together and being inextricably tied in each other's lives to see, you know, the, the great person we were able to meet and the great content creator in the form of Jim Fells was a really big highlight of the past two plus years on Down the Hatch. And though we have no more to mine here, at least in the next few weeks, I just want to sort of use this opportunity to sound off about how great Jim has been. Well, so the music of Lost is, you know, one of the underrated characters of the show. You know, without, so, yeah. without Chikino's score, the show just is not the show. Uh, I think that 
that is a very easily agreed upon opinion. It is just one of the decisive highlights of the whole thing. And so much about Down the Hatch has changed since its inception. Uh, you know, we had a very rigid structure that we <laughs> broke away from and, and you know, uh, like ran away from. Uh, and when you go back and you listen to the earliest days, it's really funny because it's just totally different in many, many ways. But there are also many ways in which it's not. And some of the things, uh, such as our idiocy combined, uh, has stayed very consistent all the way through, Mike. And one of the elements that has been with us from the get-go and has never gone away has been Jim's music analysis. It's always been a thing um, that we have uh, linked to in our show notes. Uh, Jim's YouTube channel will continue to be a thing that we will always link to here on the podcast. Um, and it has been really, really lovely to have that as a constant. Uh, and I remember very well when Jim came to uh, become a patron of Post Show Recaps. He showed up because Forrest Gump asked him to. Yes! Uh, and he was one of the, the lucky recipients of what that meant. Uh, and what it meant was something truly incredible that is a secret among the, I believe, uh, I don't remember exactly how many. I think it was like uh, five people? It was a small handful of people who followed those directions to the letter and received something in return. <laughs> uh, we will keep that uh, on lock That's and key the for package. now, at least. That's the package. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, and I remember that, and Jim has been in the Discord uh, ever since, and is always such a delight to see interacting with people and uh, to interact with him as well. Uh, so it's, it's just been, it's been really, really lovely, and is, I think, very emblematic of a lot of the ways that uh, for both you and I, uh, we've met a lot of incredible people doing this podcast, and I think that that journey, even if the, the rewatch portion of Down the Hatch is coming to an end here pretty soon, um, the meeting new people and the, you know, sort of that huge journey quality to the podcast is not quite over, um, but it is it is hard not to like kind of take a moment and sort of survey that scene, you know, here from where we are on that hike. Uh, it is just an incredible view when you look back out uh, at everything that's happened so far for the podcast. So um, Jim is highly representative of that stuff. His music is his music analysis is just so great. And if you haven't watched it and you've just listened to us talk about Jim Fells a bunch across these podcasts. Um, Perhaps it is you who is now the last recruit to the uh, to the Jim <laughs> Fells music analysis cult. Uh, so check it out. We always link to it in the show notes. Uh, this week will certainly be no different. Uh, Friends Music 107 on YouTube. Uh, very call back to another Losty show, and he doesn't just talk about Lost. Actually, he you know has videos bordering back on you know six or seven years ago where he's talking about Game of Thrones. He's talking about Westworld. He's talking about Person of Interest. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of thematic music talk and obviously you have plenty of lost videos to catch up on as well and who knows you know maybe by the time you come there jim will have a uh, finished up season six as well with those final few episodes 100 percent. all right let us get in to the mvps and lvps mike uh, you've got three mvps i've got two i've got three lvps and you have two where do you want to start I mean, listen, wouldn't it be a season one feeling episode if I didn't give Kate Austin an MVP point? Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. I'm giving yeah. one to Kate as well. This is, I mean, you talked about this a bit when we were watching the episode, that this begins a bit of a rise for Kate, where she maybe doesn't really falter until uh, through the very end of the series, which is great to see, considering how... We have talked many times about what the writers have struggled to do with Kate in those middle years. But here, between her clocking Sawyer in the Flash sideways and her being able to recruit probably the biggest convert to the John Loki side through one conversation just shows how this power, this 
character can be very powerful when she is at her highest, and I think she's at her highest in this episode. Yeah, uh, I will co-sign that. I will give my first MVP point to Kate as well, uh, and I'll just clear it out the way. I'll give my second MVP point to Jack. Uh, I love how Jack sits down with Smokey. I love how Jack is still doing that thing of letting go and searching for the moment, but, you know, kind of waiting for the moment to come to him. And I feel like Jack does what he thinks is in the best interests of his people, or at least is what his people want, um, but also is still able to operate within his own feeling of what should be happening here. Uh, and so him jumping off the boat is obviously such a huge moment in that regard. Um, so I think this is a good Jack episode. I, re- mm. I really do like this for him. All right. So I'm going to finish it off here. I'm going to go a bit unconventional in many ways. I'm going to give one to Desmond here uh, because look, say what you want to about sideways, Desmond. We certainly did. Uh, but I think that Desmond in the main timeline we should commend the fact that he was able to talk Saeed out of killing him, right? Like, I can't give a point to Kate for talking Claire down and not give a point to Desmond for talking Saeed out of killing him point blank in the well when he was at his darkest. Because if Desmond is dead here, who the hell knows how the finale is going to go? And so I I gotta give it to Desmond here. He comes through in a moment when he really needs to and is able to, you know, live another day quite literally and be able to save the day later on in the finale. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll just come in now with one of my three LVP points. I'm just going to take that MVP <laughs> point away from Desmond. He's a creep, man. He's yeah. a total, total sideways, creep. Sideways Desmond really does erase the legacy of what On Island yeah. Desmond is doing. Yeah, yeah. And let me, let me do another one, a bit of a callback here, Josh. I am going to split my final MVP point between Jin and Sun for coming back together. And if people are pissed that I split a point between these two characters, they should have got more than a GD minute to reunite. So that's wow. on Darlton. That's not on me. Wow. Um, I'm not uh, mad about it. I'm not. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we've we've done this before. We've given them half points. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I think we gave them half points in the episode, maybe when they reunited in season two as well. I can't remember. It's possible. Um, all right. So I gave one to Desmond already. I'll give another one to Zoe. <laughs> She's the wep- representative of the Whitmores. This she, week. she shows up in this episode. The flow chart is, is Zoe in this episode? Yes. Give her an LVP point. The, the Whitmores, the whole crew, clown show, total <sighs> clown show. Yeah. But let's talk about another clown show here. I'm going to give an LVP point to the smoke monster. Uh, his descent continues much like he will off the bluffs a few episodes from now uh, between getting tricked by Saeed and also his stupid ass plan to kill Desmond. Uh, it just feels like he really is getting Eggtown on his face and the jokes on him. Yeah, I'm also giving one to the smoke monster in this episode. He's a little bit klutzy as well. I don't know why he's sending Saeed to do a job that he would be perfectly capable of doing himself. Um, it's just a, it's fortunes falling for the smoke monster at this point. The best of uh, the smoke monster is behind us already yeah and i'm gonna give another lvp point here it really hurts but josh you really vocalized it well that i don't know this just doesn't feel like the sawyer that we've seen in late loss this feels like the early sawyer and the early sawyer much like kate earned mvp points sawyer earned lvp points so i think unfortunately between 
the broad brush judgment he makes about Claire, the bad decisions to not tell Kate about, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, leaving Claire behind. And then ultimately having his plan blow up in his face when he gets captured by the Widmore crew. Uh, I think, unfortunately, Sawyer's got an LVP point here, a rare LVP point for Sawyer. Um, all right. So where does that leave us right now as we are uh, getting into the final? We're going to have three more episodes plus the new man in charge to talk about here in uh the final season of lost um which means we're running out of opportunities yeah. to give mvp lvp points all Mike. right so let's so let's i'll talk through some movement here so jack is currently continues his lead with seven you know very little hurly action in this episode unfortunately means that jack extends his lead but in third place at the moment Coming through the dark horse, if you will, much like she saw one on the island back in season two. Kate Austin is there with four points, and she has very much passed by the man she will eventually kill. Uh, Smokey has now fallen down to one net positive point, and I gotta feel like he's gonna end up at least in the negatives by the time this is all over. He will. He will. Smokey's best days are long behind him at this point. Uh, Uh, He's only gonna shrink further and further as we go. Should also mention here that due to the point five and due to the fall from Sawyer, I believe Sun has now passed Sawyer as well. Sawyer is tied with Miles, Saeed, Kimi, and Alana. Uh, Jin is on 1.5. I believe Zoe is now up to a negative five, which puts her in a third to last place with Principal Reynolds. Uh, and Desmond is now in the negatives. for season six which is surprising (laughs) yeah it is kind of wild uh we'll see desmond beat up sideways ben pretty soon is that Mm -hmm. gonna push him forward or back i don't know yeah i don't know depends on how you feel about sideways ben because like sideways ben had his weird episode in dr linus but like this episode he's fine you know he's a he's a bit of a david shepherd and like a good come with guy so desmond haplessly beating up on a meek teacher may not be a great look may not be a great look um it's gonna be a tough look next week as we are going to be discussing the candidate uh we are going to watch the deaths of three fan favorite characters on lost uh it is going to be very upsetting we are going to talk it through Mike, we're going to want to set aside probably a hefty chunk of day to get into it. I think that this could be a long one. Uh, The candidate is coming next, coming out next on Lost Down the Hatch. Get your feedback in by December 7th, Down the Hatch at postshowrecaps.com. If you'd like to watch the episode with Mike and I and the patrons of Post Show Recaps, become one. Uh, Patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. We're going to be watching this episode on December 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern in the Post Show Recaps patron Discord with the patrons of PSR. So that's Patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. If y'all want to have a good cry together, I have a feeling uh. this will, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun night. It'll be a nice night. It'll be a sad night. Uh, you know, I think this one will be uh, a little bit of a run the gamut type of uh, vibe. Uh, yeah, this is a, this. it's a brutal episode. I believe Darlton actually described it as brutal. We're going to have a lot to say about specifically the deaths of these characters in many ways. I think we're finally going to be able to put a bow on the strangeness that is Saeed in season six. 
you know, much like we talked about with how Desmond talks to Saeed, does his one heroic action here at the end justify the characterization that we saw him all season long? We'll talk about one of the most controversial deaths in Lost history. I'm not talking about Sun and Jin. I'm specifically talking about Jin's decision to die alongside Sun. I remember back during one of the first podcasts you and I did, Josh, in 2015, I had defended Jin's decision. I'm really looking forward to coming back to that, especially as a dad to see if my mind has changed about that but yeah i mean we are all going to be as wrecked as hurley is on the beach when he came to that realization about who died it's going to be a huge episode of the show to watch and i'm very excited to talk about it either way it's going to be a really really big uh big event uh you know in a lot of ways we've been we've been waiting for this one uh dreading this one but i think it'll be an important conversation it's going to be one of those episodes mike where can we carry the space of admiring the episode and also, you know, maybe being mad at the episode and mad at other things? Like, I think that this is going to be one of those raw, uh, it's a really raw episode. And I, I think we could have some raw reactions to it as a result. I'm excited to get into the podcast for sure. Um, so that's coming your way next week, the candidate. Um, so much else is happening on post show recaps. We have about a hundred different podcasts just about the TV show succession. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. That's in, that's, uh, you know, you know, just one show that we're doing tons of podcasts on. Uh, we're covering the rest of the HBO Sunday night lineup. We've got Dexter coverage. We've got the zombie apocalypse on lock with the Walking Dead franchise. Mike Bloom does the X-Files podcast over at the Bloom Files, which much like Down the Hatch is getting very close to the end of the line of the X-Files watch. But perhaps even more excitingly, uh, we've really gone all in on fantasy here <laughs> yeah. on PSR in the last little while. We've got Wheel of Time podcast podcasts with myself and dm philly covering the amazon prime show and mike bloom and angela bloom are about to jump into the fantasy universe here on post show recaps season two of netflix's the witcher is on the way december 17th is the debut date and ahead of that mike and angela are on the cusp of launching their coverage of the witcher the witcher podcasts coming to post show recaps from mike and angela Yes, this is indeed. We are invoking the law of surprise. Surprise! Here. Yeah. Uh, here we are. Yes, The Witcher is coming out. Coming out December 17th. It is odd. Uh, actually, you know what? It's not a surprise given the reality that we currently live in, that we find ourselves ensconced in a lot of fantasy tales. Even if the worlds that they are involved in are not necessarily bright, happy places themselves. But if you don't know, The Witcher is... For shorthand, it basically is Netflix's Game of Thrones. Uh, it's based on a series of novels and also a series of video games, but a lot of similar tenets. Takes place in a medieval world, uh, uses uh, Western European actors, uh, very dark, very gory, very uh, v like visceral uh, in terms of a lot of its theming, but also, odd to say, but very fun. It's a show that I have a lot of fun with. So does my wife, Angela, very avid fantasy person. She gives two, three, four, five thumbs up to The Witcher. And so we decided the new season's coming out and we should cover it. So basically what we're doing is uh, if you're listening, to, if you're not a patron, by the time you're listening to this, this may already be out or may be coming soon. Uh, myself and Angela are going to get together for a brief announcement show where we're basically going to say, hey, we're doing this thing. 
Isn't this fun? Look at us. We're doing the thing. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit in a spoiler-free way about the show, because you all, if you want to hop onto that bandwagon, you have two weeks to watch eight episodes on Netflix. Incredibly doable. Josh just did it uh, over the course of the past few weeks, so... You can do that. The week after, we're going to be doing a podcast where we recap a bit of what has happened so far in Season 1, where it leaves our characters, and preview a bit of what is to come in Season 2 as well. And then starting that week after, we will be getting into a weekly podcast covering each episode of The Witcher from both a spoiler-free perspective for those that want to take the episodes piecemeal, but also... From a spoiler-filled perspective, for those of us that have been, uh, you know, a binging babish and watched the entire season and decided to now rewatch these episodes and see how they key into it. We're trying to serve a lot of masters here with our coverage of Netflix shows. So I am really, really pumped for that. So again, our kickoff show is coming this weekend where it just gives a very loose description as to what The Witcher is, why we love it, why you should love it. Uh, and then hopefully from then on, we're going to be cooking with gas as we dig deep into the fantasy world of The Witcher. I am very excited. It's going to be a fun way to spend the holidays. It's going to be great. When you pitched me on doing The Witcher, I hadn't seen the show. And so I just watched it very quickly. Just I was going to watch the first episode just to kind of check it out. I knew people loved it. And then I was just like very deeply hooked really quickly. And so I'm very excited to be a passenger alongside the rest of the listeners uh, to, to tune into the Witcher coverage. So I think it's going to be super, super, super fun. If you're a fan of that show, Mike and Angela are just going to crush it with their coverage. So that's coming your way. Going to be really fun. Also coming your way, The Candidate. It's happening next week. We will be back in just one week's time talking about one of the saddest episodes of Lost <laughs> ever. Uh, until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Four, eight, 